This is Russ Bain with Roblin Bubble Radio. This is RBBR episode 139. Woo. Chains of Command. 139. 139. 139. 139 hype. Uh, this episode is going to be about organizations in role-playing games, i.e. players running them. Uh, because Tom wanted to talk about it, and it sounded like a good idea, so we're, yeah. we're talking and about it. Just so you know, I still have the pox. Yeah, and with me, as mm-hmm. not as always, but uh, a lot, is Tom and Dan. Hi! He's, Hello, Dan! Yeah, he's been playing a lot more recently, <laughs> thanks to Gate 9. Gate 9! Nine. <laughs> uh, anyways, yes, Tom is a little sick, so please excuse his coughing. Um, I'm having a bit of a coughing, too. Uh, hopefully I can keep that. Not up. as awesome as I am, though. No. you, you Yeah, you win the coughing contest. That, I do. Yeah. I'm a champion. And I had a rough day at the dentist yesterday, so I'm <laughs> on painkillers. So that's fun. Yep. All right. Uh, so let's see here. Uh, we have a bit of news, though. Um, base Raiders, our Base Raiders campaign, Gate 9, has started. Gate uh, 9! Gate and uh, to celebrate it, I'm posting, I'm having a sale of Base Raiders in print and PDF on my Gumroad store. Gumroad is an actual e-seller, uh, so I'll have 30% off the main book if you buy it as a print plus PDF combo uh, with free shipping in the U.S. So if you haven't gotten Base Raiders now, you can get the print book and PDF book. And if you want me to autograph it, just send me a little note when you write it, uh, when you buy it, and what you want me to autograph it how, or I'll, I'll make up an aspect or something for so you. So you're saying... Buy your book. Buy my book. Buy my book. Buy his book. Buy, Buy his book. Uh, yes. So, so we've tagged that aspect today. We have. Um, well, that was more of a compel on my. I have to do it uh, mm-hmm. to get a fake point. So um, let's talk about organizations and games. So, uh, Tom, tell us a little bit about what you were thinking when you... Well, it's uh, something I really, really enjoy doing in games that... Well, mostly that I run because... I'm not. I don't. This. I'm trying to say this without sounding arrogant, but I'm like the only person I know that's done a game like that. Okay. I've run a couple of them. One was in Cyberpunk, but it was yeah. just for Aaron and David. Mm-hmm. And there was another time. It was a mutants and masterminds thing, but it's where the players build an organization mm-hmm. by themselves from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy. I, I found I really enjoy that aspect. I almost enjoyed that more than some of the stories I was doing in those games. Mm-hmm. Where it's, you know, they the players have choices, all right? Well, in most of the cases, it was a villainous type of organization. So it's, okay, well, uh, you're, okay, you have to acquire, like, acquiring money. How do you invest it in your organization? You know, do you invest in new members, members training, intelligence? Right. And the players really seem to enjoy doing that. And I thought about doing it when I realized, I'd like to be in a game that does that where I'm playing. Right. Because it's I've never done that before. Right. Uh, now Dan and I have both run games like that, but you were not in those. Games. I was sadly not in. It. <laughs> uh, we have, of course, I had I ran the Fortunes of War campaign, uh, which uh, mixed Iron Heroes with Rain, and Dan, you mixed uh, Pathfinder with Rain. I think. Uh, Fifth Head with Rain. Fifth Head with Rain. I'm sorry, I mixed them up so much. Uh, mm-hmm. Hey, oh, uh, Dan, tell oh, yeah friend. about your your experiences doing the same kind of thing. Uh, the experience I had was I tacked on the organizational system as kind of a way to deal with from a, rain for yeah for yeah. rain as a way to deal with the fact that the cast that I had for that group was really big and I was had a maximum table size but a lot more people interested in playing so people were rotating in and out. Those of you from the Patreon will remember. Yeah, that's that campaign. Yeah. Um, it was the tallest one. Yeah. Which is all, all the episodes, of course, are on the RPBR YouTube channel. 
uh, if you want to look that up. So, yeah. And I was kind of setting that up as a thing to run behind the scenes between sessions so that people who couldn't sit in on every session would still be able to participate on some level by shaping how the plot was going to move forward through organizations. Um, you know, beyond beyond the fact that life got really busy and I had to uh, not run the campaign anymore in order to take care of real life stuff or at least put it on indefinite hiatus. The, the, the slayer of many a campaign. You were yeah, here right. far from alone in that. Right. But, yeah. Um, it, it claims many. It yeah. also kind of turned into a thing that I think myself and the players realized that it was going to take a lot more investment than probably people were willing to do for a once a week. Maybe sometimes I get to play in campaign. Yeah. And so on that front, it didn't take off. But I, li- I do like the core tenets of it in that it would still work and the fact that rain the organizational rules work on a month long scale mm-hmm. so you know you could probably run a campaign in rain with tacking on if you don't like doing one role for a fantasy you could reskin the system for it to work in pretty much any other system if your players just realize that there is going to be this one role component to your whatever d20 fate etc mm-hmm. game and I actually did something similar to that when trying to get a when my off microphone fourth ed campaign, we tacked on rain at the epic tier to help the players conceptualize the fact that there really wasn't a leadership feat in fourth ed. <coughs> and they were doing what they could to, you know, be epic level heroes that were inspiring armies sort of thing. Yeah. And that worked out pretty well. But one of the, some of the feedback I got from one of the players was, you know, I really don't want to play rain. I want to play D and D. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there, there, there are a lot of issues when doing organizational games. And, uh, in my experiences of the fortunes of war, uh, which you'll hear in RPPR actual play, um, tacking on iron heroes d20 and one roll engine did not blend well. No. And I don't, and part, part of it was the fact that I didn't really, put as much work as I should have into figuring out a way to integrate the two systems. Um, and part of it is just D20 is, yeah, it's, it's just inherent to Iron Heroes. Iron Heroes itself was, is sort of a, I like what they're trying to go for, but it's it's a flawed end result. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, of the different D20 gluts, I do like Iron Heroes for what it is, but as far as creating a balancing aspect, you know, you'd be better off with going with one of the, high magic variants like Arcana Evolved. <coughs> so, I mean, that might have worked out better, but then you were attacking in magic on your... Yeah, well, I wasn't. I, well, actually, I mean, uh, Iron Heroes was specifically non-magical. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, um, the problem is, uh, there, there are a lot... So, building an organization can help, obviously, integrate players and make them... It, it, it kind of solves the murder-hobo problem in that the players become connected to the setting, mm-hmm. and they have a stake in it, and they, they, they feel connected to it. Um, but there, there are several structural uh, problems uh, or difficulties you have to overcome. And if you create a system from the ground up that does that well, like Rain does, uh, then you can have awesome results. But if you're using a system that doesn't purpose, and there are very few systems do. There are other uh, RPGs that do this. Uh, Conspiracy X uh, does it, which is... Um, Use the same system as I think is all flesh yeah. must be eaten, and yeah, uh, usually the crunchier the system, the harder it is to do it. No, it actually doesn't. I mean, there there are rules. Found. Like, well, um, GURPS does it actually well. And, oh yeah, yeah, GURPS does. Um, 
Yeah, so like for example, I did try to run a, a Fallout campaign that would use organizational rules. I am I, so pissed that that didn't succeed. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the the problem with the Gersh game it was also real life people just. We started it during the winter holidays, and nobody was able to meet after that. Wait, was that the one where I played the immortal senator from Arizona or some such? Uh, no, it was set in Missouri. Uh, oh, okay, it was uh, it was in GURPS, and it had mass combat rules. Yeah, as well. I was the he- I was the head of the ghoul comp- colony of Rala. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, it never got off the crown because nobody wanted to meet after that first session for it, or you know, not enough. Cl- Bear not a ta- Bear Town was a good idea. Yeah. Also, the bane of a many campaign. Yeah. Uh, so the the and so the thing is, um, if you're doing an organizational thing, you you kind of have to structure your entire campaign around it. Uh, well, I mean, you don't have to actually. It could just be kind of an aside thing. It depends on what what. Well, yeah, first you have to address whether you want the campaign to be centered around the organization, or if it's just you have an organization. Yeah, you really need to ask yourself, what does my campaign get out of having an organization be a, a lo- have any level of involvement? Yeah. Um. So I think uh, some of the biggest uh, thing is, yeah, what is your campaign going to I mean, this is sort of a fundamental question in any campaign is what do you want your campaign to be about? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's – I, I kind of like – the times I ran it, I made it like the organization was like an integral part of the It's the, the heart campaign. of the campaign. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I worked out a system for it too. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is also you don't necessarily need like special rules for it. Um, you could just take a standard kind of RPG campaign structure and then – Instead of you're trying to save the kingdom, you're trying to build your organization, right. and then just struck every session. There, let's see here. There is a mission that you had. Like the standard RPG thing is, your dudes, you know, you're a group of play, player characters. You're you're all bound together for reasons, and you have to complete some overall goal. You know, save the world, stop the bad guy, or whatever. So for you can swap reasons. out. Yeah, for obvious reasons. So you can you could one do like swap out, save the world with build your organization, mm-hmm. or two be build your organization until in order to save the world, you know, right. uh, the or resist- take it over. Um, well that's it. Yeah. Or, uh, sub- yeah, take over an organization, an existing organization, or I mean, take over the world. Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Or to take over the world. Yeah. So hail or Boros, hail or Boros. And in that case, you could basically by doing window dress, instead of like go to the dungeon to get the MacGuffin, you know, that you need to kill the the to get the key to open up the dungeon to the next part of the quest. You could you you could have go to the dungeon uh, to get a item that uh, a person a wealthy person wants in order to get their backing for your organization. Mm-hmm. Right, and that and that person will then give you access to something else, which will then also help your organization. So every so that's kind of a superficial thing, but you don't need any new game mechanics for it mm-hmm. if it's entirely story. Base. If it's always like, if you hit these milestones, your organization will be like this, and it'll do this. Um, the other approach is, uh, or you, so that's the minimal, super minimal yeah, approach. Sure. I, I think the other thing is to go all the way in, which is uh, the the one roll engine, the rain approach, where your organization has a lot of game mechanics, and you have all kinds of cool stuff you can do with it, and then it's totally integrated in the game. But uh, there is a middle approach, I think. Um, uh, and actually, I just had a random thought sitting yeah. here and listening to your talk, and I'm sorry I didn't bring this up before, but um, build your organization using fate accelerated rules. Just switch out the keywords for organizational style keywords, yeah, similar to how Rain does it, and you just run it as a fate. Yeah, mechanic. that's kind of what I was going for is the middle approach, which is take your <laughs> retheme mechanics and change them to 
suit your organization. For example, in Fate, it's very easy to have minion-based powers and base raiders. There's explicitly mm-hmm. a minion trapping for superpowers. So you could say, like, oh, you're trying to improve your minions, you know, mm-hmm. your organization and their influence. So... um so that's another. So that's kind of in like a D twenty system. You could have. There's already in third ed and Pathfinder. There's a leadership feat, and I'm sure there's Pathfinder supplements that have more feats and prestige classes that would give you better benefits to an organization. I mean, there's probably like six or seven of them, honestly. Well, yeah. There's a, so that's kind of the middle approach. Just makes a, a couple of new game mechanics. So you can go minimalist, no new mechanics. Sort of medium, some new mechanics or overhaul, which is like entire system from the ground up. And so that's the first thing you kind of have to realize is how much work you do you want to have this organization be game mechanics wise. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, the one thing I would recommend is not to just try and hack on a different system onto your existing system. Both of our experience of using Rain in other RPGs didn't work out so well. And I think a lot of that also had more to do with the fact that Rain does not play well. When you try to tack it on to not one roll engine style games. Yeah. Which is why I was saying it's like, you know, Fate Accelerated is simple, straightforward, easy enough that if you need organization v. organization combat, you know, you setting up a character but just renaming the stats to organizational style stats would suit you better than trying to build a rain organization and figuring out and teaching everyone how one roll works. Yeah, no, that's that's a very good point. Um, I mean, a middle ground approach would also be actually using the rain mechanics, but in another one roll engine system. Right. So, for example, if you were doing monsters and other childish things, you could have every click in your high school or junior high or whatever. So, uh, be represented by a different company or organization. Right. So, um, that's the, so. Those are kind of the game mechanic issue. But aside from the figuring. Assuming you figured out what you want to do game against wise, the other thing is what? How is this going to change uh, the 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 game theme and like what kind of story you're telling? Mm-hmm. Um, because telling a story about an organization is different than telling a story about an, a, a single hero or a small band of heroes. No, that, it's actually when I ran them, that's what I discovered. Uh, this was David and Aaron like back in like 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they were way more just, I just want to do my own thing. Yeah. But when I ran that game with them where there was, they were the two, like two members trying to build an organization to oppose another more, much more powerful organization. They really worked together more, way more in that game. When they felt like they were sh- kind of sharing you know, ownership of something, mm-hmm. which is why I think it really works so well and why I'd like to explore it. It's that. If it's the whole point of the game is to build an organization from the ground up, it's the players. I feel like they're investing yeah. in the same thing with all the other players, and not just not just a cool game, which should be kind of like everyone's goal in an RPG. Yeah, but this is like but something beyond that. Like we actually own something in this game. Yeah, um, that no, that's a good point, and and certainly having. A situation where you can order a lot of NPCs around to do what you want. That that just like, hey, that's that's a good Skinner box mechanic. Like, mm-hmm. hey, the positive reinforcement. I get to order people around; they'll do like, whatever I want. Like, I would love to do another campaign like that. Yeah, and you know, where uh, yeah, you guys like the players handle the really important stuff or the missions that are way too important to entrust to minions. But at the same time, you can also like, okay, while we're doing this, let's go have our minions take care of some business. Right. Um, yeah, and that and that that can be good. Um, Dan, like, what led you to sort of 
add in the organization stuff for your, was it just because of the sheer number of players you realized you had to have like an organization well, that was that that's where i started approaching it and where i added to it and then again once we started getting into it and playing the games you know the there was a lot less interest in it and there was a lot less the people who were interested in maintaining it were people who were showing up every week which is not why i tacked it on you know um so it kind of led me to shift more and it really kind of shifted how i was approaching running dresden especially in season two whereas the organization was more of the framing device rather than what the players were building towards like yeah they were, you guys were still involved engaged and felt like you were a part of the organization but it's not and you could still make directions but it wasn't such a central focus that you were yeah we weren't really decision makers right I think being yeah, there there are two separate things here. Being in an organization is different than leading the organization, right? Um, because being in an organization, there are many games that support that, like for example, Delta Green. But often uh, that's a framing device to like to answer the question: Why are all these weird people hanging out together and doing this and trying to solve the same problem? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a different one. Uh, that's a different kind of thing. So I mean, if you think of TV shows like. Most TV shows are about individual people and their problems, you know. Um, and sometimes these can be procedural, like, you know, True Detective or any sort of cop show uh, or sitcoms where there's just uh, people having difficulties in love and life and everything. But organizational shows are have different themes. I think, you know, for example, like The West Wing, you know, that's mm-hmm. very much about an organization <laughs> and the kind of difficulties. Um, so I feel uh, like there are – if you're making it about leading organization, you're going to have to, you should address different issues um, than uh, what you're doing. It shouldn't always. It obviously you have to focus on the organization itself, not the PCs leading it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are ways to do that. So I think, for example, um, you have to talk about like the how the organization handles problems internally. Right. Um, like, is it, yeah, do you like is it a swift execution? Do you or do you have that power to, the power to do that? Right. Well, one thing is about an organization is they're not, you know, human organizations. Maybe if you have an alien hive mind thing, um, then you have uh, an organization that all acts as one. But in human organizations, people have different minds and different thoughts and different priorities. And so you lead to internal strife because they don't all march in unison, you know. Right. So how do you handle that? Like, Tom, did you have internal conflicts in your organization? Oh, sure. Uh, well, it was mainly, uh, yeah, uh, the players were the command, you know, the overall leaders of the organization. But, right. yeah, they quickly found out that you have to have lieutenants to handle some of the more mundane stuff. And I could actually, I really, it was really kind of fun. Like, they didn't, tr- like, they didn't trust any of their lieutenants ever. <laughs> okay. I mean, they were like in a villainous organization, to be sure. Right. But, you know, you know like, I could tell it was kind of fun that like, they were really reluctant to entrust important things to them, even though when I was telling them like, okay, well, uh, like this thing, if this thing goes unresolved, then you're dealing with the thing you you, you have to do yourself is going to have some difficulties. It's going to be more. It's going to have some problems. So like, uh, okay, so who do we entrust it to? Like, yeah, I don't like that guy. No, what about him? Well, he might screw us. He's almost too smart for his own good. They would spend up to 15 minutes just like, okay, well, 
probably like an actual head of an organization would do. No. Like, okay, uh, it's like, all right, fine. Then we're agreed it's going to be this guy because the other, we just don't trust anyone else. What? Aaron and David being the only players deliberating at length about who's going to screw them over the most. I know, right? Uh, so yeah, there's there's that that is definitely an aspect but, of yeah. uh, delegation. Yeah, but yeah, they. I mean, but they they also they had a lot of fun uh, just coming up with the internal workings of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, like they were really. I think David in particular is really into okay. We like let's have code words and mm-hmm. what the titles for different things. Mm-hmm. So uh, like depending on your players, you know, they might fixate on something. But once again, if the whole point is. If you want to spend ten minutes in game talking about what titles you call each other, and everyone's cool with that, mm-hmm. then knock yourself out. Yeah, uh, that's definitely um, that's definitely a leisurely kind of uh, sort of yeah no like every, if everyone's having fun, what's the problem? So um, uh, kind of school of philosophy. So like I'm actually working on a uh, an independent game itself that is all about your minor supervillains trying to build up your power in a city. Yeah. So it might be base raiders just on a street level, right? Um, yeah, no, exactly. So you can you can do a lot of interesting uh, things with that. Uh, Dan, did you ever uh, address <laughs> those kind of issues, or like, what, how would you address those? Well, um, I never got any of those organizational games to a point where that was a conversation that took place. But again, the games that I have played in or ran where the organization functions as a window dressing, like Obelisk, was a pretty big. Uh, was a pretty big organization. There were other organizations that you guys interfaced with, and you were able to manage and delegate just by role playing and skill checks yeah. already inherent in the game. To where I never felt like I needed to stat out the organization; that it was easy to keep abstract. Right. Um, and honestly, some of the problems that I have had since then are people as the game progresses in power tier and people shaping and taking their own objectives that they're wanting to behind the scenes change the organization in a way that other players don't get input on yeah and that's going to be one of the big hurdles i have to address for one season three if when it ever starts <laughs> yeah uh yes picking up multi-season campaigns that's always fun uh especially after long breaks um i think you can kind of talk about this as sort of like the burden of leadership. I think that if you're going to have an organization game, you have to you have to talk about the cha- the responsibility of the being tough a leader. decisions. Because, mm-hmm. like most organizations, the people aren't one. If you want them to be fanatically zealous, loyal to you, you have to earn that. You have to get them to do that. Like people don't automatically become you know zealous, worshiping fanatics of one you know one leader or another. The, that leader has to do something to earn that loyalty. Unless your name is Bartleby. Uh, well, he had to do something to do that. He had he to had, seal their minds. He had to edit their brains, you know, like that's something. Yeah, brainwashing is a thing, especially in a lot of, you know, mind control things. So they have to do something in order yeah. to earn that loyalty. Actually, yeah, uh, thing like, that was like, like, the reputation became important. Okay. Where, uh, like, yes, if you got a reputation for being ruthless and, you know, dealing with, you know, in, disloyalty swiftly. Yeah. That's one thing, but if you become, like, if you flay someone alive because they've disobeyed your orders, how many people are going to want to work for you? Right. Uh, I mean, obviously, that depends on the degree of, like, yeah, disobedience. But, yeah, the player's actions in-game, uh, I always, like, greatly would, it would you know, reflect on the organization. Right. So, yeah, if you do the typical D&D murder hobo thing, who would really want to work with them? Right. Honestly. Right. Um, 
and that that's kind of the challenge is you know like uh reflecting the culture of your organization through leadership you know like um they react the the followers and subordinates will react to how you lead them and so if you act as like a very you know stereotypical supervillain and kill people for minor you know they'll they'll Stab you that your subordinates will then betray you when they can. They'll steal supplies. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They sell will, you uh, out to rivals. Oh yeah, know? yeah. They'll be they'll they won't dare defy you openly. But the moment some other crime boss has come or whoever comes by is like, like so like you know, would you be willing to betray your boss? Like, wait, wait. You mean the person that could snap at any moment and just you know kill me on a whim? Yeah, yeah. Let's do this. Yeah, exactly. And well, and at the very least, they're going to be stealing boxes of post-it notes and taking them home. Yeah, exactly. It might be minor stuff, but like then that can come up. Um, I could see a uh, interesting adventure coming from uh, the 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 idea is like, okay, we we're we're uh, our budget. We don't have enough money to do Project X. Like, what do you mean? I got all. I brought all this in. We robbed a bank or we killed a dragon, and stole its gold. Like, yeah, but we're look. We have shortfalls here, 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 and it's like. And so then they can become like the PCs have to examine their own organization, and then they find out they've been bad leaders because they haven't been, you know, uh, help, they haven't been, uh, they've been just, yeah, uh, ignoring minor They didn't spring for dental. Yeah, or maybe one of the lieutenants is actually like seemed to be very helpful and uh, capable, but was just a con artist who was lying to. And siphoning money off them. Yeah, and time. siphoning money off, embezzling, yeah. What? Bigly. <laughs> Bigly, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, Dan. That's uh, we're we're just talking about role playing games here. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh we're not yeah, uh topical at all. So uh the the idea is uh to reflect this in the game. And so every game should uh the organization should react to the the nature of the PCs. So if the PCs are heroic and self sacrificing and act as paragons of leadership, the organization be like, oh my god, look how badass and great our, you know, we have, we're led by Captain America. I have to live up to his ideal, you know. And then you like, get shit. Or you could also have like, it's like, yeah, they're great. It's like, but man, they're really trusting. Yeah. Well, it depends, you mm-hmm. know, like if you, uh, depends on how they, yeah, that's another challenge of leadership is figuring out who to recruit. Are you going to recruit the kind of people who would be inspired by it or look, oh, look, oh, look at those suckers. I can, you know, exploit them. The question is, you know, how do you want to reflect that? And how much, and how much of the uh, game should be about internals? Uh, uh, like, it, it also kind of depends out, like, is this the organization versus the world? Is it versus another organization or is it the organization versus itself? You know, like, like what, what kind of adventures do you want, conflicts do you want to have in the game? And yeah, I think an organization versus itself style game story campaign probably would lean more towards the no extra mechanics to light middle ground because again, then you're more of the framing device a la Delta Green. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think, um, well, I actually, the organization, the best example I think is actually the laundry because it has rules for bureaucratic infighting. Uh, so that, 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 but again, and even if the PCs are leaders and they have to deal with committees and other bureaucratic, uh, supervisors and rules and regulations and a bunch of other factors. Um, so, and also you can have a variety of things. So you could be like organization versus external world versus, you know, as the first two adventures, then organization versus another organization is the third adventure. And then organization internal conflict is like, you know, to represent all the problems that have sprung up because of all these things. Oh, we fought these bad guys. We saved all these people from this calamity. And then uh, we dealt 
with a giant monster. And now, and so everyone's just beaten up. We don't have any money left. Uh, everyone's morale is low. You know? Or the PCs made a morally questionable decision that challenges what the people they've recruited thought the organization was doing. Yeah, I didn't think we were going to be resurrecting people to torture them for secrets, you know, right. and then killing them again. Like, like, I didn't know we edited people's brains. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that. Like, that wait, did you guys edit my brain? Exactly. Already? That, yeah. Um, another, yeah, well, actually, a great internal conflict would actually be like a mole hunt, you know? Is there a spy in your organization? Like, at what links do you go to find the spy? How many people are you willing to, like, uh, spy on how, yeah. of your well, own? People? Be, uh, how much of your own resources do you want to spend? Yeah, exactly. So. Because I think there, like, to me, running that resource management needs to be part of it at least a little. Oh, yeah. And and these can be sort of story things, like make it a series of choices to players. You know, do you do you support this program, this program, or you want to spend the resources to improve your own organization um, in yeah. some way? Me personally, I actually I like to have stats for the organization. Okay, like when I run it, it's, uh, it doesn't have to you know it doesn't have to have a lot of impact on the gameplay. Mm-hmm. But I think they're like uh, I like to have. Uh, Different statistics for the organization and ratings for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. just so they can give you give you some idea. Like, make it simple. Like, do like the old World of Darkness one to five dots or whatever. Right. Again, that the yeah, going for the middle ground, mm-hmm. uh, not a complete overhaul. Uh, again, I would uh, unless you're really a super mechanics guy, I would recommend looking for a published system. You know, or like, again, if you're using Pathfinder, there's tons of stuff. But um, or again, I would just say if you want resource management to be part of your organization, again, reskin Fate Accelerated, guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really any, easy any to do. yeah Fate can do a lot of stuff. Or GURPS, GURPS ha- has explicit rules for organizations. I mean, if it hasn't already been done, or someone doesn't beat me to it, that might be my next writing project. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it also depends on what kind of setting you want to do it in. Like, if, like another point is also like the 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 genre matters too, because like a fantasy organization is different than a, a modern organization than a sci fi organization. How so? Uh, well, like Middle Ages, uh, in the you know, I would say in ancient games and fantasy games, organizations were um, much more like they were the law. Like if you are an adventurer's guild, you had life or death over, especially like in the monster infested wildernesses you would be working in. Uh, whereas modern organizations have to deal with larger nation states um, and the the entire world, like like if you're the Wizards Guild, you had the Wizards Guild law, and it's a very common trope in fantasy settings to say wizards deal with wizard pro- criminals, you know, and wizard mm-hmm. problems. And the you know the clerics they they are judged and you know policed by their own and that kind of thing. So I mean, obviously, it varies setting from setting, but it's different than like if you're an illegal if you're like a government you know super criminal fighting agency you have to deal with other government agencies you have to deal with other national like international agencies like interpol and whatever or if you're an if you're even a villains guild you have to deal with other criminal cartels you know um but a fantasy one i think they're not as connected to the entire world like often they only deal with the ones immediately neighboring them Right. So, like, you don't have to deal with Interpol in a fantasy world because there is no Interpol, you know. Um, I mean, there are exceptions. Well, but but I'm sitting there thinking it's like, you know, if you're wanting to look at maybe doing a universal organizational system that could go multi-genre, then instead of, you know, just have stats that abstract to different things based on what genre you're in. Like, diplomacy, a diplomacy stat in a fantasy game is more about 
how do your agents respect boundaries, customs, and traditions of their neighbors? Whereas diplomacy in a more modern style game starts looking more like bureaucracy. That's true. And well, that's the other thing. It's like a difference between fantasy and modern eras would be like the rule of man versus the rule of law. Mm-hmm. Like whoever controls the wizard guild sets the rules. I mean, there might be, and uh, well, aside from tradition and precedence, everything we've never done this. We've never summoned the Minotaur on a, you know, on a, an eclipse. That's just not done, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, yeah, and in a fantasy setting, it's much more easy to monopolize a certain resource. Yeah, like in this case, like magic, like. Usually, like, oh, well, the Mage's Guild of the City is in charge of all magic in this area. Or, right, right, yeah. They police their own, they control their own. But in a, in a modern society, yeah, you have bureaucracy. Like, the ancient kingdoms, for the most part, didn't have – they only had a very rudimentary bureaucracy. And the king could just ignore them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, I don't give a shit about the written law, f- you know. Uh, Magna Carta fucks that, you know. Or in fantasy, there's a king. Yeah. Yeah, there's – Well, I mean, you can have dictators and authors, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, – uh, those kind of uh, governments in the modern era, but they still have bureaucracies. They're corrupt bureaucracies, but they're still there. Um, so I think that would be a difference. And then sci-fi organizations, you know, the, the sky's the limit. You know, in Eclipse Phase, for example, there are you know uh, autonomous, you know, anarchist communes where the p- private uh, ownership of property is illegal. It's just whoever needs the thing the most gets it for that as long as they need it the most. So, like, people could vote you out of your body. Like, oh, yeah, you're more uh, – this new person needs it, so we're kicking you out of it. So uh, that's very different, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for example. So that creates a different kind of se- uh, setting. So I think genre matters a lot. It also means, like, if you're doing a horror organization, like, say, The Laundry, then you have to worry more about the, the, the organization controlling and manipulating and spying on you. If it's a heroic thing like S.H.I.E.L.D., they're like, yeah, fuck yeah, we're going to kick Hydra's ass, you know. Um, I mean, America. Yeah, America. Unless it's like, unless you're doing something like Winter Soldier, which is like, can we really trust Shield? Oh my God, they have sleeper cells. In which case, you're doing, you know, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, but with superheroes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think genre matters. uh, Well, yeah, genre matters in how the organization plays. Again, I'm just thinking mechanically. How do you like mechanically? What's similar? Well, I mean, it depends on what. Um, what kind of approach? If you're going minimalist, you know, it's just fiat. If you're going middle ground, you know, obviously you wouldn't use Pathfinder for a modern game. Right. I know mod- I know Pathfinder has support for some modern stuff, but... Uh, what? Well, they have for, like, guns and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But I would not use that for a modern era. You know? I wouldn't use Pathfinder to try to run Delta Green. By <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So Delta Green... Um, but Delta Green, yeah, that, that would be different rules if you're trying to run it as... An, like... I trying to run an organizational game as Delta Green, like trying to be one of the leaders of Delta Green, that would be a very interesting challenge. Um, <laughs> like, how, yeah, I kind of want to, uh, yeah. How do you do that without going insane first? Well, that's it. Yeah, that would be one of the challenges. Well, part of it is like the leaders probably don't have, never have firsthand contact with the stuff. They just read reports. Right. And so they, they kind of sanitize it, you know, uh, so that their sanity. It's because your two routes on that is that either A, you're an agent who realizes that these guys, they're, Running it behind the scenes, don't know the shit, and so they got it. You got to show them how it's actually done, yeah. or you're someone from outside the organization saying, "Well, this is horribly mismanaged. I should be put in charge of it." So, yeah. how do you build enough? Well, I think that's actually going to be offered in uh, uh, explained in the next Delta Green book, which is coming out this year. Uh, <laughs> by the book, but that's yeah, that's it. That's an interesting question. You could do a campaign on any any. Just make your assumptions and kind of go with it, and mm-hmm. then. Um, do you want to make it to where like 
it's a war kind of setting and you're you're just like the general or the delta green director throwing men to their you know agents into their doom uh into the meat grinder and just trying to hold off the inevitable as long as possible or is it you know more of a uh like oh we can kick their asses you know more optimistic quote unquote um so yeah you have a lot of different options it's kind of just what you, what you want to accomplish is it just you know keep in mind like what kind of themes you want to have? Like, what is, what is your? I think part of it is also what you think a leader should be. Uh, like, what is the ideal leader? Who is the best kind of leader for an organization? And like, whether the PCs can match your expectations of a leader. Like, should they be heroic? Should they be Machiavellian? Um, so, Tom, like, you know, how, how, what were what was your campaign theme? What was your sort of hypothesis? Uh, it was cyberpunk. Yeah, but it was a uh, underworld. Okay. So it was a uh, criminal organization. Okay. Uh, ba- you know, starting out is just a couple of guys. Yeah. Ending with uh, they were one, they were pretty much controlling a huge a percentage of the all the crime in a city. Well, why did like what was your thesis like? How did you determine whether they succeeded or not? Like, were it was it like for example, if you're if you were using for example, if Scarface the movie is your game, you know, if you're trying to do Scarface the movie, the, it's about Tony's Montana rise to power and control of a drug cartel, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason he is he succeeds so well is because of his ruthlessness, his paranoia, and his willingness to do what his competitors aren't willing to do. And so if I was doing a Scarface game, I would be like, are you willing to kill these guys? Yeah, okay. Are you willing to kill well- all of these people. Are you willing to kill innocent people? Are you willing to be more ruthless and more dangerous than your competitors? How many puppies are you willing to kill? Yeah, and that's well, and so it's it's well, a moral thing. Like how? Well, here's how I handled it. Yeah, I presented them with obviously the problems for each step of the way, and I asked them, "Do you want to solve this quietly, or do you want to do it in a way that could attract heat?" Right. Obviously, uh, do it, dealing with it quietly would be discrediting, uh, you know, a like discrediting a rival or. Convincing a supplier through diplomacy that, or distributor that hey our product is better, yeah, which would yeah. T- which would require them to uh, like it would require skill roles like using the same skills that are in the system, sure, either either themselves or hiring people with the skills to do it for them, mm-hmm. or if you were going to do it you know loud, I would uh, I would you know say okay uh, so. You want to just kill this guy? Are you looking to just assassinate him? Or are you looking to wipe him out and his organization? And then I would—I uh, I worked out a heat system where, okay, you can do that. That'll wipe out your rival. But now, the whole—all the cops are like, "Holy shit! There was a massacre okay. at this guy's estate." All right, all right. So that—so you had the heat system, and so you say Aaron and David did very well at the end of the campaign. They, they did. They basically won. So how did they win? What choices did they make to to succeed to get that? Uh, they 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 chose like their they, the overall goal was to take out either the just the leader of like a well, how did they do it they did it through they uh, they did it through uh, having enough resources to take them on directly they decided to like now we're gonna okay so, so we're gonna actually actually we're gonna physically attack them okay so they succeeded because they. Uh, so your challenge was can't your your thesis was that leaders are willing to defy their greater system that they're yeah. willing to buck the trend um, yeah. and so that that's why they won uh, yeah. is because they were like we're not just going to be here meek and be a small part of the system we're going to like go against the 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 current we're going to go upstream and we're going to fight and we're going to win yeah all right so that's so yeah so Dan. 
Um, did you have any kind of thesis sort of th- theories for what what a good leader should be in a game? Did they ever, or did you ever get that far? Uh, we never got that far, and the thought that I had when dealing with Obelisk and having Mira is that if you guys ever decided you wanted to wrest control over Obelisk from her, like her main drive publicly is that you know the area needs protecting it's been neglected for too long so you would have to show that you would be better at it there are some other things if you if you delve more into what her other motivations were you could probably start to dismantle her or discredit her personally Mm -hmm. but that doesn't change the fact that publicly you have to convince everyone else in the organization that she's doing it wrong okay and that was the thing is like well, you're, it seemed like she was a good leader and like she was doing the job. Yeah. So why was she a good leader? Like what was her qualities that enabled her to be a good leader? Because as you know, she was willing to make sacrifices of herself okay. when the situation called for it. She compartmentalized efficiently and effectively. And she also delegated and delegated to people that she could trust to the level that she could trust them. Okay. And also just. She knew she had contacts and she wasn't afraid to call them in. Okay. So, all right. She was, so she was pragmatic, she was, but she could make the right calls without going too hard in one way or the other, right? Well, you guys never, you guys never failed in such a way that made it seem like it was a right. bad call. Right. Um, so if you were doing a game where players were the leaders of an organization... Like, how would you test their worthiness to be leaders, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. I mean, what is the what is the mission statement? Yeah, okay, there you go. Uh, what so is the y- mission statement of the organization? Okay. Are they doing what they say they are on the tin? Okay. Uh, yeah, and that that's kind of a genre thing, too. Like, if you're doing a superhero game, it's probably what it says on the tin, because, you mm-hmm. know, it's four colors, good guys versus bad guys. Uh, let's wrestle with superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're doing horror then it's obviously not what it says on the tin and you know it's a darker secret secrets and lies secrets and lies you know uh, well publicly what their mission statement is but you know what is their mission statement in regards to horror yeah like delta like delta green with the special access program i mean i don't know what their official mission statement is it's probably seven pages long and it's full of words (laughs) that are multi-syllabic and incomprehensible yeah but they're actual mission statement is the contain all vectors preserve humanity yeah it is and that that's yeah and delta green so yeah a delta at if, all costs if you're doing a delta green leadership thing it would be about making those making those hard choices um so yeah it would be it would be test like if you're the leader of delta green one who do you recruit for it do you get the best and the brightest? Do you get the the darkest and most ruthless agents? Do you get a mixture? Do you mix them together? Or do you have like team good guy and team puppy killer, you know, puppy kicker? Uh, and you send them on different, you know, do you send team good guy out to investigate, you know, crop circles and team puppy kicker to go burn down a cultist house? Uh, or do you mix them up so they, you know, because if you, you know, another thing about, you know, leadership is also not only managing resources, for example, managing agents, uh, your, your subordinates. Um, so if I was running Delta Green leadership, it would be about like, it would be about the people, you know, mm-hmm. that are in, that are basically going to die because of what you tell them to do. And how does the organization respond to incidents like, uh, Shinchenko? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how do you manage an agent who obviously needs to be retired 
in a more right. aggressive sense. Or do you just throw them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you just, uh, yeah, and do you shoot them? Do you put them in a mental asylum? Because everything has a cost. If you can just shoot them in the head, other agents are going to realize that's going to happen to them. So they, have to, they better hide any sort of weakness mm-hmm. on their part. If you put them in a mental asylum, then the agents are and worse. And but then you, the agents could work against you and try to bust them out. Well, yeah, exactly. Or a cultist does, or a monster breaks them out, or possesses mm-hmm. them, um, or the cult, or the crazy agent, you know, summons something in the insane asylum with their own blood or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's a new mission. So yeah, that would be the other thing's experience. Like Delta Green missions are often very hard. So like you basically have to manage your guys to level them up so that they can become good enough investigators to go, you know, stop, you know, Ithaqua from turning Canada into ice, mm-hmm. you know, um, or something like that. So, so essentially what you're saying is that a Delta Green leadership game just turns into darkest dungeon set in modern times. Yeah, uh, to a degree. I, that's, that would be my first approach, and that's not necessarily my only approach, but... That would be one of my my first inclination because you yeah. could do different Delta Green games. Another one could be purely political thing, like dealing with other government bureaucracies and like stealing oh, resources, yeah, from other. What's the British Delta Green called again? Pisces. Pisces. Yeah. Oh yeah, like trying to negotiate with Pisces, who actually has jurisdiction over this vector event. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's a lot of things uh, to deal with, and that kind of brings up another thing: uh, dealing with subordinates. Um, because we already talk, you already talked about you know, having uh, lieutenants, you know, mm-hmm. assigning jobs to lieutenants, um, but the part of it, the whole point of an organization is you don't have to be there to solve everything. So at some point, your lieutenant, you know, is going to have to deal with a conflict on their own. So how do you adjudicate NPC versus NPC conflicts that happen off screen? So like, what, what instructions do you give them? Do you trust? How how much do you trust them? Well, it's not even that. It's not trust is one issue, but like. For example, you you tell your lieutenant, all right, go take the guys out and go rob this bank. And the question is, the players are off assassinating someone else on the other side of town. So they can't help at all. So, Tom, how would you adjudicate the NPC robbing a bank that's guarded by NPCs? The way I did it... Assuming... Uh, the, the way, I, the way yeah. I would do it... All right. Is I would actually... I would have, like, a difficulty system. Like, okay, uh, like, I would have complications that if you, like... That's why resources come in. Like, if you spent the resources to know to investigate like this particular job or mission, like the bank robbery, then you could find out some things that you could they could know you could know ahead of time. If you don't, and you just send your lieutenant to go in blind, he's not going to know that they they recently. So are the now- lieutenant, you wouldn't have the lieutenant make any of these calls himself. Uh, would depend actually, but I would also I would also have, I would also sorry have some <laughs> stats for the lieutenant. Okay, minor, you know, like very basic to know, like okay. How competent is he? Does he think ahead? Is he right. impulsive? Mm-hmm. So depending what it is, like you're maybe if the lieutenant can't figure out that they've now like contracted with GenSec and now there's professional guys guarding this bank now, yeah. then yeah, it's he's going to go in and you're they're going to come back like yeah, the entire team you sent to the bank was uh, taken out or arrested by a skull dozer. So what? Skull- so the mechanics wise. Um, you would just think about it and just yeah, like, well, like, make the assessment. Yeah, like I would actually, I would have a, like I would actually come up with a list. Like if you're doing like doing it like jobs, uh-huh. then like I would actually have like a list of jobs and the, they would choose what to do. I would already have down exactly how difficult this is really going to be, mm-hmm. and whether or not it's. I would make planning a part of it is. So if, if the, actually if you have the lieutenant was good at planning, mm-hmm. I would say okay, well he'll he'll go ahead and, and he might research this. And then I also, well, like, there's planning, and then how good is he carrying out a plan? Okay. 
I and then depending on how good he was, like you may want to have two lieutenants: one guy who's super good at thinking ahead and planning, mm-hmm. and another guy who's just the you know the guy that I'm going to kick in the door and do the job. Okay. So there's always like it's almost it's always what they know and what they can do. Okay. So, but in terms of game mechanics, like how much would you like? Let's say they they tell the go rob this bank. It looks easy. Go do it. And mm-hmm. they're, they're doing their own thing. At what point during the game session do you well, okay. that? Well, the game's like, once again, doing that job. You'd also have to give them some, some resources to go do the job. Okay. I say if you give it's uh, doing if I if you want to carry out a successful job like that, carried entirely by a lieutenant, yeah. it's what they know, what they can do, and what you give them to do the job. Okay. And if enough is sufficient, I'd actually have, I would actually have like, you know, a role that everything you, all three of those things would plan together. Yeah. Add to the add to the lieutenant's role to carry up the job, and then you would come back and find out how they did. Because okay. I, I would actually do all those roles myself. So you'd be doing a lot of a series of roles. A series of roles. Okay. And uh, then, like, you come back from the job, and you either, you're either going to have your lieutenant like, yeah, it's a piece of cake, did, okay. did the job, or uh, yeah, we're dead. Okay. <laughs> and also, my loyalty wasn't that good, so I'm totally going to make a deal with the D, with the DA. Okay. Uh, so you, you uh, so they do the thing, and if it's a significant thing, you just make the rolls, uh, sort of abbreviate uh, version of what the PCs do. All right. Um, I, the, I, I like to keep it consistent. Like it should be similar to what the PCs, the rules for the PCs are. Okay, so consistent. All right, that's good. Uh, Dan, what's your approach to handling NPC versus NPC conflict that happens off screen? Um, what are the what are the PCs willing to risk? Uh, so again, like Tom, you would you would ask the PCs what resources you're assigning to the NPC. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the and also like one of the things to find out would be the potential heat for this job. Yeah, well, I mean, it depends on the system and job. Yeah. Well, no, it's the you know what risks are the PCs willing to take on themselves in order to make sure this gets done. So yeah. if you're telling, oh, go do a thing because we have more important stuff to do, right? And you're not going to do anything to make sure that job goes as smoothly as possible before you go out and have your own adventure. Then it'll happen how I want it to happen. Yeah. At that point, if you are willing to, like, okay, well, we need to, for example, we need to false flag an adversary out of hiding and we need another organization to help us do that. And they go, okay, well, are you willing to come and spend a few weeks out in our turf to help us out later? Yeah. Sure. Well, I'm just talking about in general, like the whole point of organization is that the NPCs are doing stuff off screen. And at many points, uh, especially if it's a PC-led organization, they will come into conflict with other NPCs. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily something proactive like robbing a bank. It's like it's very common to ask your NPCs to guard your base or your headquarters yeah, or whatever. Right. And so when the, your PC, NPC, when your followers come into conflict with other NPCs, how do you resolve off-screen conflicts? Um, probably again with. What did the PCs invest to make sure it went smoothly, and how does that make sense to how you need to fiat it? Because if you're not, so you're more more like kind of do it case by case. Yeah, do it case by case. And if you have a mechanical system for organizations, you run it as the rules say. If you are not running it, and the organization is more of a window dressing, and it's going against the NPCs. If the PCs didn't put any skin in the game, then it happens however you need it to as the GM. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, like, if the PCs put anything of their own resources at risk, they need to have some agency and some factors, and that needs to have – they need to be able to influence the out, ultimate outcome of the event. Yeah. If they didn't put any skin in that particular game and they just said, oh, well, we put Rollins in charge of it, 
okay, then, well, this is what Rollins did. Do you want him to be in charge of things in the future? Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of like, the, the for me, the balance is, you know, um, I would also make sure that my first thing would make sure the players know how I would be adjudicating this before the campaign begins. Mm-hmm. So they have this idea because the idea is obviously is you're like, oh, your PC is being some ninjas are trying to sneak into your base, you know. Oh, well, we should go back to base to resupply just coincidentally. You know, you don't you don't want that kind of metagaming mm-hmm. right. or excuse to metagaming. So at the beginning, he's like, here's how I'm going to handle this stuff here. Here's so I will be either making a lot of rolls behind the screen at certain times or I'm just going to be adjudicating by fiat or here's how I'm going to do it. You guys keep that all in mind because when an NPC versus NPC combo comes up, you only know about it when your NPCs tell you it happens. You know, maybe the ninja infiltrates your base and the PCs find out later and they're like, well, let's not tell the boss, you know, uh, and that kind of thing. So depending on how it happens. So, um, yeah, it, that, but that's something you have to think about as a GM. You, you, this, 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 this kind of thing will happen a lot. And you don't, you definitely don't want to do, I think the only one mistake is to fully adjudicate it as though it was a full PC adventure. You know, like, okay, well, I have these five, you know, followers and they have these stats. This ninja has this stat. And I roll this fistful of dice for these NPCs and this fistful of All right, of I'm going to run for- 10 rounds of combat behind the screen. And you guys don't get to know what happens, so just give me 30 minutes. You know, you, right. you don't want to do that. I mean, I guess you could do that if it's in between sessions and you're like, let's find out what would happen if you like those kind of things. But, you know, otherwise, uh, maybe not. So, um, yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on organizations? Uh, I feel like we've covered a lot in this. I think we have. Uh, yeah. And I have a new writing project. Hey, oh. Uh, yeah, fade organization stuff. That fade is definitely a great way to handle it with aspects and fate oh, points, yeah. yeah. And yeah, stunts. Uh, resources uh, yeah. are just your fate points. Ta da. Yeah. And, and, I've always, and I've always wanted to do a super villain organ- organization game. Sure. Like a campaign built around it. Yeah. Which is going to be my next project. <laughs> All right. Uh, something to look forward to in our VR. So next up, we have shout outs and anecdotes. Yo! K9. K9. We're back with whatever synthwave or vaporwave I put in there. Um, (laughs) I don't choose until after the show is recorded. So anyways, uh, shout outs. First off, I would like to mention a book. I got a review copy of recently. Uh, Zombies, run. Zombies run. Uh, Zombies run, I guess, is the way to really say it. Uh, it, Zombies, run. At least it's not zombies. Run. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be good. The subtitle is Keeping Fit and Living Well in the Current Zombie Emergency. Uh, now, this is from the people who do the Zombies Run app, uh, which is a GPS tracking app that you can use while you're running to try and help you get into shape. So basically, uh, the app is like, oh, you're our new runner for our you know, post-apocalyptic enclave. We, we need you to go out and get supplies. Uh, okay, first off, start walking. Now run, now walk. Oh, there's zombies. You better run really fast. And they mix it in with music. So um, I've used it before. It's a really cool app. And uh, the book itself is a very beautiful hardcover. Uh, with that, shadows. Yeah, with shadows. Well, those are the zombies. And the yes, person. I have. And uh, it has a lot of running 
fitness advice, also zombie post-apocalyptic, you know, survival advice, how to make weapons, uh, also fiction about the, the, the town that they're in. This is actually based in the UK. Uh, so, uh, they have the ministry, you know, not anything like that. No. Uh, but how to do a running plan, uh, little maps of how to build a community and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed this book. I thought it was really cool. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's like half practical fitness advice, half, Zombie apocalypse survival stuff, uh, which you never know when that will be handy. <laughs> so uh, yeah, if you like fitness, uh, the other thing, yeah, it, it's a hardcover uh, with a little dust jacket. So um, kind of not a choice for a fitness book, I thought, because you know you might be wanting taking this out on the field or something like that. But uh, yeah. I don't know. Or you can always get more money out of a hardcover edition. Yeah, I guess you can. Yeah, yeah. I, it looks good. It's a nice looking book. So yeah, uh, kudos to that. It's pretty. Yeah. So um, yeah. Anyways, uh, Dan, you had a shout out. I had a couple. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do one. For, what's your first one? Uh, first one uh, in keeping with the theme of organizations. Ooh, yeah. And how Tom and I kind of started the organizational top of talk a few weeks ago is that you know michelle and i have been building our board game collection and we acquired lords of Waterdeep. and you know if you want to play organizations in a fantasy setting i mean you could play a campaign over months and months and months <laughs> or you can play lords of Waterdeep over the course of an hour or so yeah so. and and betrayal uh it's a worker placement game i, I played it as well yeah. um where you're a lord of Waterdeep. And you're trying to get enough points to become the the real Lord of Waterdeep. Truth. And you 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 get those points by assembling adventuring parties and sending them out on quests. Yes. Um, and you send your agents out to recruit them, while at the same time trying to keep your identity totally secret from the other players. Or you can just be really obvious about what objectives you're trying to complete, and people that are good at metagaming can go, ah, you're the piety arcane Lord of Waterdeep. I should probably start keeping you out of those quests. Right. Because I is a dick. Yep. Well, because I want to win, weirdly enough. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's a fun board game. I really like it as well. It was probably the first real worker placement game I played that I can think of. So uh, It's one of the few worker placement games that I actively enjoyed. Yeah. It's kind of a fantasy game I, I, I like to play. Yeah, I like it even when I don't win. So that's that's how much I like it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of those. That's the sign of a good board game. Is do you, Did you have fun after not winning? Yeah. Uh, next up, I'd like to mention an, another book, uh, this thirty seventh parallel. Uh, this is a book about a UFOologist um, who has spent his life, you know, studying UFOs and cattle mutilations. And the author just kind of follows him around for a year and sort of sees what his life is like. He's uh, Chuck is a microchip designer by day, UFOologist by night, and it's kind of interesting because it's sort of an overview of the whole UFO. Um, you know what UFOs biologists believe, and what they what kind of phenomenon happens around the country. You know, not just sightings, but also cattle mutilations and uh, weird stuff like the Taos hum. There's this town in New Mexico yeah. with a weird humming sound that some people can hear and others can't, and no one knows what causes it. Um, and uh, yeah, tinnitus, tinnitus, yeah, mop. Uh, mop. So. It's uh, for me. It's one. It could be good inspiration for unknown armies if you want to play someone who's sort of obsessed and kind of unhinged and making you know faulty pat pattern recognition. Oh well, this thing and this absence of evidence must mean evidence of absence. You know this. This clearly proves that government conspiracies are blah 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 blah. Um, or if in Delta Green, uh, you could use this as you know a 
someone who is probably going to interfere with the Delta Green operation at some point or another. I saw strange lights over here. Why are all these men with guns here? And Oh, God, you know. Where uh, did this dinosaur come from? Yeah, exactly. Spoilers. Uh, so There wasn't a lake here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I like that. Uh, it, it's a good little read. Dennis Detwiller is writing it as well So uh, he, for his Delta Green research. So, yeah, anyways, uh, Tom? Yep, uh, mine is a game on Steam and a, a text game of all things. I've kind of forgotten how much I used to like those. Oh, mm-hmm. muds! Yeah, but yeah. This one's called Congress Wolf. Yeah, and yeah, it's a uh, it's a text based game where you play the campaign manager of either the Republican, the Democrat, <laughs> or the Independent uh, candidate for Congress. And oh yeah, there's also werewolves. And the big the big case going around Congress is a werewolf, a lycanthrop civil rights bill. Mm-hmm. That it's a whole lot of, first your boss is killed, you know, the person that you were supposed to be working for dies, is mutilated the first day, so you have to take over the job. Yeah. And so it's finding out who killed your, uh, who killed your boss, and also greasing the palms and you know, getting, the, getting your candidate elected, and you decide what to do with the bill. And also that guy may be I'm stalking. Not the congressman. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and uh, and also someone might be stalking you. Oh. That's not eerily topical at all. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Uh, very interesting. Uh, have, hey, you, have you already beaten it, Tom? Uh, I've gotten one ending. Yeah, there's about, okay. there's like, there's like 12 different types of different endings you can interesting. do. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Next up, I would like to also mention a game on Steam. Uh, Nefarious. Uh, this is a platformer game. Uh, I got a review copy of it uh, before PAX South. Uh, and it's a platformer where you play a villain uh, who kidnaps princesses. And a prince, in one case. Um, and you, you have to fight heroes. Uh, and so it's like... Uh, it's like backwards Castlevania? Um, no, it's more like Mega Man or something like that. Okay. Uh, where it's a standard platformer. You can choose what order you do the stages in to a certain degree. Um, but you get to choose, uh, well, one thing, every boss battle is reversed. Like you play, they, they're kind of rip off iconic boss battles and then you play the boss character. Like they, do you remember the Sonic, uh, battle where like Dr. Robotnik had a, uh, wrecking ball attached to his little pod mm-hmm. and he swung it around at Sonic? You're, you basically play Dr. Robotnik in one of those. Okay. So like you're swinging around at one of the heroes and you try and beat him with a wrecking ball. Uh, another one, you're basically a Final Fantasy boss, and you have to do a t- turn-based strategy against against a band of heroes and take them all out. Um, and you get the idea. So, but it's mostly standard kind of platforming with the the gimmicky uh, the boss fights. But what's interesting is once you pick up one of the, each of the princesses, uh, you get a new ability that's unique for that level. So, like in some levels, uh, in in the fire level, the 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 fire prince. Uh, when you jump up, we'll create this lava rock trail uh, following the arc of your jump that's like a temporary platform you can jump up on. So you can jump – oh, there's a platform. So you can jump back on it and then jump onto the next one and then you know hmm. use that to raise up. So uh, clever twist. I haven't beaten it yet, but it's been a fun game. So yeah. Uh, Dan, you got another one? Fun games are fun. Yes. Um, just not related to RPGs at all, but <laughs> something that I stumbled across and found interesting and want to share. Um you know, those of you that have listened to the podcast have known that a number of us have worked at a facility or a type of facility and have all worked at the same place at different points in time. Um, and if you ever kind of got curious as to what was that work like, since we can't talk about it a whole lot due to HIPAA stuff, um, just pick up on the miniseries on Netflix, Don't Call Me Crazy. 
that kind of gives you an idea of what we dealt with on a daily basis. And it's also kind of a, uh, if you ever sat down and wondered like why mental health for teens is important, that will give you some insight on that too. Oh yeah. So, uh, cool. No, it sounds like a really good, uh, series. I'll have to put it on my queue. I'm currently watching young justice right now. Cause Caleb and Spencer recommended it on the mix six. So uh, yeah, that's a good show. I, yeah. I, I'm just behind on my Netflix, Dan. I'm oh, sorry. God, Ross, watch more cartoons. I know. I know. Right. Uh, speaking of funny shows though, I would like to mention letter Kenny. Oh uh, my God. Yes. Uh, which is kind of like, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Only everyone is, a. it takes place in a very small rural town in Canada. And everyone there is like as verbose as a Shakespearean actor. Uh, so it's, Are you, you're saying that with your sarcastic smile. No, 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 I'm not. We're no, not. I, no. I love this show. Yeah. You can't, I, I, I was not hallucinating. There, there are other witnesses. Uh, each show just starts with them waxing poetic about something. Yeah. Sitting no. at their fruit stand. So yeah, there's there's tweakers, uh, uh, hockey players, hockey uh, bros, yeah, hockey bros, uh, just small town Canada uh, with unusually verbose uh, personages in there. So yeah, I mean, everybody is just yeah. like yeah, is, is like a Shakespearean actor. Yeah, in terms of their their the, the fluidness of their their speech, uh, it's very funny too. You would like it, dude. Uh, so uh, I don't know, I don't know how you can watch it. Uh, I acquired it. You find, yeah, I, it's fine. You acquired uh, it. I acquired it. So yeah, uh, it's on, it's in yeah, Canada. You don't need to know how. Everything in Canada is free anyway. Uh, at least that's what I've been told. Freaking socialists. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I got two more after this. Uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, two more games. Uh, Joking Hazard uh, from Cyanide and Happiness. Nice. Uh, it's a party card game, kind of like Thor or not Thor's of Water. It's kind of like a. Uh, what is that super popular one? Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, Cards Against Humanity only. It's funnier because it's just like make a three-panel comic. and You, you know Cyanide and Happiness, the little mm-hmm. stick figure kind of guy. Well, not quite stick figure, but very basic. And so there's hundreds of cards, each with, with two two characters from that. Um, blue shirt guy and red uh, green shirt guy. And they're, two, they're either talking to each other or one saying something to the other. They're doing something wacky. And then you each have to figure out punchlines, a third panel for the comic. And then the judge judges that one, and you move on. And so it gets very funny because you can get some very absurd results with it. So uh, it's a fun, it's a fun little party game. So yeah. Uh, and then finally, uh, another game, board game, Pandemic. Oh, the the another Cthulhu uh, another organization. Yeah, speaking of, uh, yeah, Sigmas. Um, so uh, Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu, uh, which I got for Christmas, and is a very fun uh, board game about. Trying to save the world from Cthulhu. So uh, instead of viruses, you're trying to block the spread of cultists and shoggoths. And there's some variations in the rules about like um, <laughs> the more cultists open up, the more old, great old ones awaken, making it harder and harder to win. And yeah, we've only it is really hard to win. It, we've only won one out of five games so far. So uh, yeah, it's fun, uh, but it's very challenging. So I liked it a lot. So anyways, uh, that's it for shoutouts. Uh, yay! Uh, shout so, out! Shout, shout out. out! So finally, we shout out uh, anecdote from our base raiders campaign because base raiders get nine, get nine, get nine. Uh, so in the second tier of the campaign, um, in the first tier of the campaign, I introduced later on uh, Bio Buddies, which are totally not Pokemon knockoffs at all. Totally not Pokemon Totes at all. Uh, and I'm saying that as I'm playing Pokemon right now. <laughs> um, so in the second tier of the campaign, uh, Bio Buddies go wild, uh, and people start using them. Not to be confused with Girls Gone Wild, please Hey-o. God, no. Uh, 
so uh, yeah, you guys talk about it. You're like, what, what, what your encounters with the bio buddies in the second well, tier? I'm in the game more recently, so I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't down on the ground. Yeah, Tom before. was added to the campaign in the second season because uh, Faust moved away. So no, no. Yeah. Hi Faust. Hi Faust. Yeah. Um, my biggest experience was uh, I kind of had to pretend I was one. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, your character basically looks like a battle toad. So we, uh, if you're spray painted silver, I think I said you could be a shiny bio buddy, uh, yeah. which is very rare. So people wouldn't be familiar with you. It was a shiny battle toad. Yeah, you're a shiny battle toad. So, so uh, yeah, they kind of had to coach me. Yeah, and you, you can always say battle toad while you're in disguise, incognito, like, and so you had to fight in an illegal fighting uh, underground bio buddy fighting ring. Um, which you had to visit as well. Uh, uh, another one to you. you uh, what was your circumstance of? Yeah, that was more of a set I piece. Would, yeah, it was a set, set piece because I needed to get a, a hold of someone who was gambling, at, who was gambling on the bio buddy fights. When if but I needed to also blackmail them. Like I know you've been gambling, and your bosses won't like that. Uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, that was more of a uh, set dressing thing. So. Um, but, but in doing in getting there and doing the setup, like you know, um, the fact that it's been tied in really close to Sean's organizational powers as a supervillain. Yeah. Well, is he a supervillain? Uh, kind. Yeah. Morally ambiguous super person. Okay. <laughs> so rational self interest super individual. Uh, he actually uses those kind of people minions as cannon fodder. So he, he's trying to do right. Kind of so. Um, Who is John Orbos? Yeah, so we've had um, a lot of uh, fun with the bio buddies. Uh, they'll be showing up more. Um, yeah, like, like the players are trying to price fix uh, the bio buddy uh, market. Mm-hmm. Um, to- They're trying to engage in price fixing on the bio buddies market. They're trying to rig the matches. And this is all just one subplot, by the way. There's there's a lot of other things going on. It's layers upon layers. It is layers upon layers. So that's some of the things you have to look forward to uh, season two of of, uh, Gate 9. But, of course, there's a lot in season one. For a group of superheroes that have a very common origin story, we have a very uncommon routes of achieving our objectives. (laughs) That's true. Um, Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any kind of hints you want to give about them, what's coming up for, for listeners in season one? I mean, I get to rename one of my aspects to 4,218 plus one. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to say. I can't wait for the, play, the listeners to hear about the marriage proposal. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, yeah, that that uh, it's a it's a player on player marriage, player character on player character. Oh, in the dance battle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's a dance battle, too. Uh, there's a lot to look forward in season one, I feel like. Uh, so. That's another, yeah. Uh, I, want, I just want to give these kind of juicy hints, so you stay tuned, stay listening. We appreciate your comments. Uh, we love your comments. So please, please keep commenting and write and review us on iTunes if you haven't already. Uh, and iTunes. iTunes. Buy my book. 30% off. Buy my book. Buy, buy my, his book. Buy my book. Uh, so that's been episode 139, Chains of Command. Woo! Chains of Command. Toys Bye. 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 Bye.